Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, intuitive medium, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created this show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. Manifestation is the power of using our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs to bring something into our physical reality. It makes things tangible. We can manifest things we want and things we really don't want. While some consider manifestation to be a pseudoscientific idea, there are indeed scientific ways to prove its existence. For starters, the science behind manifestation is based on the impact of positive thinking on positive action that our beliefs bring about behaviors that lead to the outcomes we desire. If we truly believe we can do something, then we will most likely work hard at achieving it. Just as if we strongly believe we will not achieve something, then we will set in motion events that will actually make it so. In addition, if we are feeling bad, we are more likely to view everything through a negative lens and as a result, interpret neutral situations in a negative way. Conversely, a positive outlook has the opposite effect. This can be seen in a placebo effect. Placebos are often effective because people aren't aware of it and because they believe the treatment or procedure will work. Their thoughts and beliefs align with their expectations or the outcome of it working. Similar to how the law of attraction works with manifestation, thought initiates manifestation. All of our experiences are created by our thoughts. Inspirational speaker Abraham Hicks says that a single deliberate thought held for 17 seconds is all it takes to begin the manifestation process. She refers to this as the combustion point. So think about all of your thoughts and how long you dwell on them. These thoughts invite other thoughts of a similar vibration to support the original thought and in turn attract to you all of the possibilities and experiences to make this thought a reality. All possible potential outcomes exist simultaneously, which is why it is imperative to be intentional while manifesting. Energy is in constant motion, and we are vibrating energy, which leaves us in a constant state of manifestation. How long a manifestation takes comes into our life is dependent on how quickly one can move through their limiting beliefs. Abraham Hicks calls this time between asking for our desire and receiving the physical manifestation of our desire the buffer of time. It is in this buffer of time that one is encouraged to focus their thoughts on the things they want. It is through one's feelings that one can determine if it is something they want to manifest or not. After all, manifestation is more about how we are feeling than what we are wanting. Aside from aligning with the positive vibration of our desires, one must also maintain that vibration in order to fully receive the manifestation. Otherwise, the manifestation will just be a version of what we truly desire. We must let go of our fears, doubts, and our control around the timing and the outcome of the desire we are manifesting, or we will end up creating resistance. Resistance just pushes the the desire further away. Manifestation meets you where you are at in life. Oftentimes, the universe will bring you lessons with each manifestation. You may even experience adversity right before receiving your manifestation. 
This adversity is an opportunity to grow and move beyond any leftover limiting beliefs or negative patterns which are holding you back. On one hand, this may help you to appreciate the dreams you are striving for, and on the other, feel worthy of receiving them. Think of something in your life you have continuously manifested, whether it be a job, a car, or a relationship. Now reflect on where your belief system was at during that time. Notice how when your mindset improved, so did the manifestation. It was as if you upgraded your manifestation each time. And you did, because you upgraded your self-worth to match it. While most of us face adversity at one point or another in our lives, others of us are born into it. Life is hard right from the start. Adversity, however, teaches us a thing or two about manifestation. It forces us to reflect and wish for better circumstances. It allows us to let go of what is, to hope for what is better. As a result, adversity can enhance our ability to succeed and to overcome. So long as we let go of victimhood, we develop attributes like resilience, resourcefulness, strength, and persistence, and we hang on to any bit of positivity we might have to help us navigate through the difficult times. And it is in this glimpse of positivity which helps us to manifest better situations. As we begin to manifest, we then become more confident. Manifestation is willingly moving into the uncertainty because we trust that the universe has our back. And a big part of manifestation is being that which you bring in. There is no separation between you and what you want to create. What you're seeking is already within you. Ultimately, Manifestation allows you to become a deliberate co-creator of your reality with the universe and live the life you were intended to. As Rumi said, what you seek is seeking you. Today on Love from the Hip, I am absolutely delighted to have Cynthia Ocelli here with us. Cynthia is a women's life challenge and success coach. She will share her inspirational life journey thus far and the obstacles she overcame in order to align with her manifestations. She will also reveal insight on how women can embrace their femininity, as shared in her book, Resurrecting Venus, and how women over 40 can heal from their emotional wounds in order to live their best life. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. 
Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial designed for your rugged skin. A deep cleansing clinical facial is like a one-two-three punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com Do you wonder why you repeat behaviors that don't serve you? Do you struggle with self-love? Are you intimidated by situations where you want to stand up for yourself but can't? If any of those resonate with you, you may be living someone else's story. This can lead to dysfunctional relationships, emotional shutdowns, and regrets. Every part of your life may be a reflection of someone else's story. It's time to live your life. In 2005, spiritual life coach Jeanette Dames realized she was living other people's stories. She recreated her life to live her story and love, joy, peace, health, and prosperity showed up. From this deep transformation, Jeanette has developed a six-week coaching program to help you create your life your way. She can help you make it a dazzling reality. It's time to let go of what you absorbed from others and create the life you want. Visit RiverAngelRanch.com for more information. That's R-I-V-E-R-A-N-G-E-L-R-A-N-C-H.com. Welcome back to Love from the Head. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having Cynthia Ocelli here with us. Cynthia is a women's life challenge and success coach. Hello, Cynthia. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for being here. Where are you joining us from today? Today, I am in Austin, Texas. I'm on writing retreat, and this is the place to do it. That's beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about some of the life challenges you have faced from a very young age. Yeah. Okay, so that's a super long list. I'm going to center <laughs> in on some of the ones that I think, I think we all go through, and it's valuable to share them so that we can see ourselves represented and know for certain that we can transcend them. Mm -hmm. So I had a, an absent father. I know that's a big thing. And uh, I had a teen mother who was not ready or equipped to be a mother. And we were living in poverty. My mother was on food stamps. She was an immigrant. So there were very uh, adverse circumstances with a lot of scarcity and a whole bunch of limiting beliefs being taught and modeled. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, my mother was German, immigrant from Germany, and my father was an American black man in the military. And so he was being absent in my life, left me to be raised in my mother's very German household. And it was an inherently racist household. So I grew up hmm. constantly listening to uh, racial slurs about everyone, not just blacks, about anybody. Right. And, um constantly being told that I was not enough because of that one thing, but I was kind of half enough because I was half, you know, German. And that obviously a child internalizes everything, but I, I went through that time and concluded it's best if I'm, I had like a, a little idea in my head that I could be still be small and be careful. And that's how I would survive. Hmm. And 
then I went to school and it was there was more racism and bullying. And so I, I just receded into myself and became smaller and smaller. And that manifested in just deathly uh, scary silence and, and shyness. I my first oral report was given behind a projector screen in second grade because I could not do it. Hmm. I couldn't stand there and be seen. And, you know, what we want the most in relationships is to be seen. And sure. I refused because it was so bad whenever I was seen. Right. And so I went through that time. I also had, you know, an experience that a lot of us go through and I love to talk about because I don't think we talk about it enough, which is I had a family member sexually molesting me through my early mm -hmm. childhood. And I didn't, you know, I felt I was complicit in that. So I wasn't going to tell anybody because I was going to get in trouble too, because I must have been responsible for it. And all of that kind of came to, to a head when I was in ninth grade and school was so brutal. And now I could no longer trade on my intellect. I had been a gifted child and that really worked in elementary school. Right. But in middle school, as, as we start to want to have connections and we're developing, uh, that was no longer valuable to me. And all the things that were valuable, social connection, acceptance, popularity, they were not happening and I was really ostracized for being uh, not white. And then in the black community, I was ostracized for not being black enough. Um, mm. So I dropped out of school and I went to the town next door, which accepted me because I was a developing young woman. And all of a sudden I had something that someone wanted, which was, you know, sexuality. Mm. And it they were also predominantly uh black and minorities of very different kinds. And so they accepted me. I took that as acceptance and it didn't matter that they were selling drugs or in gangs or stealing or doing just the worst things. You know, I did all the, I went to the place that you would never want your daughter to go. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was 19, to make a long story short, my uh, baby's I was pregnant. My baby daddy was locked in the penitentiary for drug sales. I was on welfare and I had dropped out of ninth grade. So I was pretty much starting at less than wow. zero. Yeah. yeah. And, and I believed all of that was, was who I was. Like, you know, I was living at the level that was logical and right about me. So mm -hmm. I had sort of, you know, manifested exactly what I believed about myself. Right? Or the level that people told you you were at. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, like Louise Hay would say that a belief is a thought taken, accepted and repeated over and over again. Mm -hmm. So I took the thoughts. I didn't create them. I wasn't born thinking that we're not. None of us are right. right. We're, we're born kind of self-centered in the most beautiful way. And knowing that if our needs are met, we'll be happy and our life will be good. And it's yeah. kind of the same still. But, you know, people intervene and things can go wildly off track. Mm -hmm, for sure. And so for me, I'm probably one of the few people I've ever known to say that for me, a teen pregnancy was a very good thing. Hmm. Um, I didn't have the value to even dream a better life for me. But when I had a baby and I saw that I had a little boy and he was darker skinned than I was, uh, and the kids that looked like him that were now 16, 17, 18 were dying. I had, a, I had the first boy I kissed, his best friend, his brother, and his best friend, his brother's best friend, all died in a six-week period From in gang, gang violence. violence. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I, that also, I mean, that came to me and it hit me like, oh, 
I am the worst mother in the world. I have now brought a child into this environment. So I thought I was born into a bad environment. Look what I've done here. And I set out because when you're at zero, and I hope anybody listening who feels like they're at ground zero, the bottom, you only have one way to go. You can only go up. It can only get better. You have nothing to lose. And I really felt like that. I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And the thing I wish I had, which I would love for everybody to recognize in themselves today is an inherent knowing that I'm valuable. Mm. Me. I needed a baby to give me value so I could do it for the baby. And as moms, we can do that. We can do a lot of things. And I also, as I've lost people over time who I love, I will live on and I will give myself a little extra energy, discipline, and motivation by living for them in honor of them as well. But it's the best if you can do it for you right? because you're valuable and you're inherently worthy and you came here on purpose and the desires that you have aren't random. They are part of your makeup because you were meant to pursue them. Like I wish, you know, I I have that now. I love that you share that. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I'd had that then. I hope someone else can take that leap. But you may pe- you may have not had that then if you didn't go through what you went through, right? Like you Right. You know, well, yeah, it's it definitely definitely earned, but I kind of oftentimes when I'm coaching and I'm writing now, I'm speaking, you know, they always tell you, you know who your reader is. Well, it's me in the garage. Mm. Right? It's me thinking there's nothing in my future for me. I I'm I'm done. Right. Um and so I used to fantasize as a means of escape. So I was living in a garage. I had no plumbing, no heat, rafters with nails and bugs and had this baby. And I had a lot of time on my hands. I'm on welfare. I can't go anywhere. I can't afford to do anything. Hmm. So I would fantasize. I would, I would sit there and go, this is so terrible. Imagine if Imagine if I were educated. Imagine if my my son was in a private school outfit and he was going mm. to school. Imagine if I had a big house in my favorite place in Los Angeles. And, and I used to have this little vignette I would play in my mind that I was in my pool looking at the palm trees and my housekeeper comes out and says, Cynthia, you have a phone call. And of course, it's the love of my life, right? I had these <laughs> right. aspirational, beautiful visions and they would give me a break. Mm. That's all. That's what I, that's what they were to me. They would give me a break. I did that in the morning. I did that at night and I set out to do anything better than what I was doing. Hmm. And I was committed. And what's amazing about that is in five years, that vignette played out to the letter, everything. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened after your son was born and you were living in the garage? Where, where'd you go next? My first step was just to move into a house with a roommate because the step up to have plumbing and heat and a baby safe house was kind of everything. And Mm -hmm. so it was so cramped. I was still struggling. I got a real estate license because I could do that without having a, a college degree or any of that. And I made a move out of the tiny town I was in. And this is important because I had to cut off ties with everyone who was living in a way that would be bad for me or my child. Mm. And I I did it in one move. I just, that was it. There were no more people who were associated with things that were harmful or negative for themselves or anyone else. Mm -hmm. And that left me lonely, but it also took a lot of doubt, a lot of naysayers, a lot of 
uh, encouragement to do things that are destructive away. Um, the, the catalyst for that was I waited for my my son's father to get out of prison and he did. And he immediately went back to selling drugs and I knew hmm. we're done. It's, it's over. Yeah. And so, and that was a, you know, a terrible thing, but a great thing. And a hard thing to do as right. a young mother. Oh yeah. It was very hard. But in some ways, when you know, when you know that you're doing what it takes to transform a life that's dependent upon you, it becomes a lot easier. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be responsible for that. Yeah. I the, didn't want, you know, all of that happening in my baby's house. Mm -hmm. right? Your mama bear came out. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's, yeah. A, she's still here. She hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, and then it was a series of, of the, there's no plan to it. Like right. you would think that in order to manifest a transformation in a five year End to end, nothing, there's nothing in common except the, the DNA of my, me and my son. Everything else has changed 100% across the board. You'd think that I had a master plan and I knew what I was doing. Mm. I, I didn't. And I had a lot of false starts. I sold insurance door to door in the snow in Seattle. Huh. How about that? And okay. I, I had gone there in the spring and I just was, I visited my aunt who lives in Gig Harbor and I was like, this place is gorgeous. <laughs> and I moved in October just before this place turned into a gray, wonderland. <laughs> yeah. you could call it that it was a winter something. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm selling insurance door to door, I get an upper respiratory infection, mm. and move back to California to get away from it. So the, the point there is, it's not linear. Mm -hmm. And it's not without challenge. And a delay is not a denial. And you kiss a lot of frogs before the prince comes, but it's about persevering. And as you persevere, you are sort of forged in life's fire mm -hmm. to hold the greater vision mm -hmm. that you have. Now, I know this now, but then I just was flying completely blind. I was reading a book, which I still have called Life 101 by John Roger. And uh, it was very simple, but it was very much positive and telling me that I am the one who has the power and the control over my life, mm. no one else. And with that being true, if I do nothing, I'm not going to get anywhere. If I don't change myself, I'm not going to change my world. If I heal myself, I will heal my world. So I'm working, but that's not a light switch. It's a spectrum, right? So we grow gradually over time. And then as I get maybe two and a half, three years into that, I take a job as an assistant and then I take a second job as an assistant in a real estate company. And I start learning that we live in a world that is unfair, especially as women. And if you're of any type of color, male or female, you live in a world that is unfair. Um, on the, this patriarchy, white male dominated patriarchy, if they make a dollar, a white woman makes 83 cents. A black woman makes 70 cents and a Hispanic woman makes 65 cents and a Native American is even lower than that. So I was the assistant to a whole team of people who were, you know, top of the food chain, head of the patriarchy, just nailing it. And they lived great lives. And I was do doing all the work that they did as I was supporting them and realizing I can do this. <laughs> nope. Nobody has said, I, everybody has said, I can't do it. And there's not another woman here of any shade. Hmm. Um, and it certainly seems like women aren't supposed to be here. 
but like the wizard, it's the wizard of Oz. Like I can do this. <laughs> and so I started a, a real estate. I started selling real estate and I met the most amazing man. He was from France. He had three master's degrees. He was world traveled. He was, you know, the, everything that comes with the French mystique. And he really saw me. He believed in me. He saw me and he would say the things that I say to my clients now and that I needed to hear growing up and that just aren't told. And he said, oh, you're smarter than, than all of these people. If you want to be, there's nothing you can't do. You can create anything you want. You can have anything that you want. If you would just believe in yourself, you know, when you walk, you walk and your head is facing down and you play small. If you would just own your space and own your body and being, yeah. you can do anything. And I, at first I thought that he was just buttering me up and then he, he became really adamant and he, he really was able to show me and prove that I could. And so I start this real estate uh, adventure and I'm doing really well and we are together. And the thing that's holding me back is that I'm feeling like an imposter because I have a ninth grade education. Mm. So I'm selling to people who are very educated. And if they knew that, you know, that I have a ninth grade dropout, I, you know, I would feel insecure about that. I think I would do different. I would feel different today, but that made me decide that I needed an education. And so this was one of these bizarre uh, people want to want, want proof uh, stories. And I love those. Yeah. I, I, decided that I wanted to go to law school. And that would mean that I would finish ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, finish four years of undergrad, and then apply to school. Well, I have a child and I don't have that kind of time. No. <laughs> so I went around to all the law schools in Los Angeles and asked if they would take me. And of course, they all said no. And I took the LSAT and I said, but look, I, I, can, I, I can do this. And of <laughs> course, they all said no. Uh -huh. And I had that intention in my mind. And my, my boyfriend at the time, he would tell me, uh, there's a way you just haven't found it yet. Don't accept the no, just, mm. just stay in this. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was crazy. Every, my mom thought he was crazy. Everybody was like, you know, you're just so unrealistic. Get your feet on the ground and get it, get to work, you know, do your job and you settle for where you are. And all of a sudden a law school an accredited ABA law school says, okay, we'll take you on probation. If you can handle it, if you can handle it, we will let you try it. Amazing. And I got scholarships all the way through, had a baby in my second year, got married in my second year, graduated in the top of my class, expanded my business, built, built my dream home, like everything just turned. And that was a very short amount of time. That's amazing. And why would you settle for where you were at? I mean, that was the issue in the first place. You knew not to. Right. I something in you knew not to. Yes. Yes. Thankfully, I, I'm not sure if it was the books. I'm not sure if it was being the result of being ostracized. If you've been rejected mm -hmm. and you're, all you're going to identify are the negatives about it. But there's something wonderful about being rejected. If I don't fit in with you, then I don't have to follow your rules or be like you. Mm -hmm. I can live a different paradigm. So if I'm excluded from all your stuff, all your good stuff, well, I'm going to be excluded from your bad stuff, too. Yeah. So maybe there's a way for me. And it's that embracing of possibility that ways are made. I could never have planned that. I did work hard. I didn't know it would happen. Everything says it shouldn't happen. I've never heard anybody else do it. <laughs> but it did. Yes. <laughs> that's and awesome. it, it, it's 100% real. Like sometimes people really want that credibility to know 
Yeah. Um, I, I assure you that's exactly how that went. Well, thank you for sharing that. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. But everyone stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny up next and more Love from the Hip. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to talk about a recent trend to remove facial fillers. As it turns out, the natural look is trending, and many celebrities have begun to regret their decision to get dermal fillers in their face and lips for various reasons, some even involving reactions. Celebrities like Courtney Cox, Khloe Kardashian, Melanie Griffith, and even Simon Cowell have dissolved their facial fillers. When asked why, they say they may have gone a bit too far, or they didn't like how different they looked, or that they suffered scary reactions. Dermal fillers are used to instantly fill in wrinkles, scars, or hollow areas of the face, as well as plump up the lips. However, overuse of them can lead to asymmetry, bumps, and an unnatural appearance overall. Dermal fillers tend to dissolve or metabolize naturally in a period of 6 to 18 months all on their own. But if one doesn't want to wait for them to dissipate naturally, most dermal fillers can be reversed or dissolved as long as they are hyaluronic or HAA-based, which can include Juvederm, Restylane, and Bellotero, to name a few. Examples of those which cannot be dissolved include Radiesse, Bellafil, and Sculptra. An injection of a soluble protein enzyme called hyaluronidase is used in the areas where dermal filler was previously injected. This helps to break down the HA found in the filler. This treatment is said to be a simple and quick treatment involving one to four injections of the enzyme into the area where filler was first injected. There is no downtime, and some areas will prove more painful than others, like the lip area. Also, the product will work within 24 hours and continue to work for two to three days. The average cost is said to be around $450 for one session. However, multiple sessions or treatments may be required depending on the amount of dermal filler and the area it was injected into. So you could spend upwards of $1,200, which could be more than you did upon receiving the dermal filler in the first place. Of course, along with the potential side effects of getting dermal filler, there are side effects with getting it dissolved as well. And these can include bruising swelling, and discomfort. The biggest risk of dissolving filler is that it can also break down your body's naturally occurring HA and cause disfigurement and or asymmetry. So it is important to do your research when looking for a good provider. Ultimately, altering any part of your body cosmetically requires risk and education. Do your homework so that your risks are less and ask yourself if what you are looking to change is worth the risks. Welcome back to Left from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just tuning in, I'm having a very lovely discussion with Cynthia Ocelli. Cynthia is a women's life challenge and success coach. So thank you for sharing your inspirational story. Um, I really appreciate that. And I hope that my listeners find themselves somewhere in that story that you shared. So how did you not lose hope? Or fall into victimhood? I, I think I, I have lost hope consistently, and I still do sometimes. And I have definitely been victimized. Uh, and, and I think I've spent a lot of that younger time feeling like a victim. But it has become very clear, and it, came, it became very clear when I was able to get out of the garage, that 
regardless of what has happened, my power, the only way that I am going to be able to end that influence on me and create a life that I want is to take authority over my life, to take responsibility for my life and to start making choices. And that's antithetical to being a victim. You Mm. cannot change and recreate your life while you hold your wounds and your victimhood. You have to say, it's not to say nothing happened to you. It's not to say it wasn't bad. It's not to say that it's endorsed and it's okay. It's to say, I will take responsibility for it for the sole reason that if I am responsible for it, I can change it. Mm -hmm. And that is very true for me. And I have been through as a grown, as an adult, a lot of deep uh, tragedies and challenges where it felt almost tempting to stay with the wound, to almost honor its, its terrible nature, to validate it. And invariably, nothing good happens that way. Mm-hmm. Nothing good. So I, I say it more that I pass through victimhood as I'm acknowledging how upset some upsetting something is, but I don't set up camp there. Right. I know that in order for me to transcend and triumph and to be okay again, to smile again, to feel the beauty and the wonder of life, I must move on. I, I must change this and take control. I love yeah. that. So as a minority woman myself who was also on food stamps and a single mom, I'm just curious, this is something I struggle with is how do you learn to back off the hustle and just let things flow or happen? I think a couple of things. Some of them are less uh, less spiritual and more psychological, more aligned with Maslow's kind of hierarchy of needs. When we are able to meet our basic needs, it is a lot easier to develop spiritually to grow and to back off. So at the level of survival, it was a lot. When I was in the garage, it was an awful lot for me to think, I if I just change my inner energy and psychology, all of this will change. I needed to physically work and change my environment. And that brought me to the level of that base of the pyramid in, hi- in the hierarchy of needs, satisfied, which then opens the way to self-actualization. Mm-hmm. So that's one part of it. Then assuming your survival needs are met and you are feeling like, I, I, I don't want to hustle and grind and be a part of this rat race, then it's, it's really about learning the art of living. Mm. So I, I think there's sort of a spectrum and at, at, at one extreme, there is the, I do nothing. I just think happy thoughts. And at the other extreme, it's, I do everything and I do it alone. I compete and I make it happen. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in the middle, there is, I do my best and then I let the universe do the rest. And that uh, complex of those two things is the sweet spot for me and for almost everyone I know who've actually done it. And I love that, that I think is, is the, is what we need to, to get towards. So it's not to throw anything away. It's to look at where are we leaning? Right. And what, what do we need more of? And it kind of, to me, it's like, I'm a very practical person. If you're into astrology, I am a Taurus, but I'm also <laughs> half Gemini. Uh-huh. So I've got my feet on the ground. I'm very practical, very, I love nice things. I'm really into the material. And then I am in the stars. I am out in the universe. I am as ethereal as you can be. Yeah. And 
for me, it's bringing those both together because no matter what I do, this pen is still going to drop to the ground because of gravity, right? Mm -hmm. It's still a part of it. I cannot get away from that. And I still have a heart and aspirations and there's source energy and there's grace and there's beauty and their spirit is all around. Mm -hmm. So we're learning the art of that co-creation. I love that. So now uh, at what point do you think you stopped learning to survive and you were just thriving? Uh, I think I learned how to flow in life as it was ripped out of my rigid white knuckled hands because Mm -hmm. I was a little leaning or more to the physical, a little more to the, I will make this happen. And there were some huge events just for encapsulate it short. Um, my, I was in a big legal uh, case because my husband had had a brain aneurysm and lost his mind and lived. So I was in a legal case with his French family as my sort of divorcing my French family they appointed lawyers for every one of the children. There was medical malpractice. That, so there was wow. seven lawyers in the room trying to solve something. And that's just not going to happen, Mm-mm. right? <laughs> so seven, seven lawyers, 11 months. We keep showing up. It's thousands of dollars an hour every time. And I went to law school and I'm pretty smart. I think I'm going to solve it. And I get to this point of depletion. And I, I'll never forget it because when I left the courthouse, instead of getting into the front seat of my car, I got into the back seat of my car and I laid down on the seat and I just started crying. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't care. I surrender. I'm going to let this go. I have done everything I can. I, it's just too heavy. Right. Take it, take it from me and I'll show up and whatever happens, happens because I've reached my end. The next week I'm at my daughter's school. I'm talking to this person at parents night and I'm just getting through life. And he's talking to me and I look at him and I think, gosh, he's familiar. And he looks at me and he says, I know you. And I go, oh, you're the judge on the case. (laughs) And he goes, oh my God, I can't talk to you. And I say, okay. And he goes away. And then the next time I go into court, he had consulted another judge about that, about running into me in a personal circumstance. And that judge said, oh, you need to, uh, you're fine. You can continue to work on this case. But in the process, that judge reviewed the whole case and said, you need to rule. You need to give her what she needs and end this. So I show up there at the 12th time Uh and the judge says, she needs to go on with her life. He discloses that he talked to another judge, but everything is done. Now, I just gave in and that conspiracy happened. I'd never seen him at school, my daughter's school. Amazing. Yeah, you surrendered. Yes, and then magic happens. Mm -hmm. It just does. So, and along with the surrendering, do you also believe there are obstacles that come in right before you're ready to receive this great manifestation to help you get over those last limiting beliefs and as you did, just surrender? Uh, I think, I want to say yes and because I think things come in every permutation. I could tell you stories of instant manifestation that make no sense and had no (laughs) barriers and others that felt like, you know, um, lava rivers and mountains of glass. Uh, I think it can all happen. I think that we know, and, and this is our work, to get more centered and in touch with the deepest desires in our hearts, not the desires to do to other people or for them to think things about us or to have so somebody looks in something and it looks a certain way. The ones that make you feel full in your center and warm and aligned with your purpose, the deck is stacked in your favor for you to have those. Mm. And, and those are the ones that are going to be the most fulfilling. So if you're on the right path, 
the universal conspiracy is basically a given and it's really getting on that that right path and i think that changes obstacles a lot because sometimes you know things come along to redirect you mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so then at the same time having never been at the level of awesomeness that you are now <laughs> how do you maintain that and not plateau or not you know regress i think I think I have plateaued. I think I have regressed. Um, and I think I've then overcome and taken leaps forward. I think this is the nature of life. Mm. And I, I think I've never reached a point that I have said I am now at the peak of pinnacle of awesomeness, so much more awesome than anybody else. I think that it's personal. Mm. I think that you're, you have it. And, and part of, as you claim that inherent awesomeness, as you claim all that you are, the world reflects that back and that's pretty magnificent. Mm. So I, I don't feel like there's pedestals and hierarchies. I feel like it's about recognizing the truth of ourselves, independent of everyone else and unapologetically. I love that. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly you're a coach. <laughs> how, how long have you been coaching? And, <laughs> and when, years. yeah, it, it seems like it. When and why did you decide to step into it fully and professionally? Um, well, I, I've been a coach since I was a child because I didn't mention that, but I was a parentified child with a codependent mother learning mm -hmm. how to fix her problems from as a survival mechanism since the day I was born growing up learning how to do that in a healthy way and monetizing it is a success. And I think that we can look to our innate coping strategies and find uh, gifts within them. I was a business consultant for a lot of people for a while, and it always ended up being coaching. Mm -hmm. Every business problem they had was really personal. Right. Everything that went wrong really came down to personalities or insecurities, or I'm not enough, or I'm angry. And so I just turned the page and switched to coaching. And that was about, well, formally about 16 years ago. And with your friends, I'm sure, too, as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm still a coach on call. <laughs> so in all the coaching that you've done, what, do you, what have you found to be the biggest obstacle for all women to overcome, no matter their ethnicity, status, culture, religion, etc.? Uh, believing what others told them. Believing what other people have told them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I no. lost you there. Um, <laughs> believing what others, others have told them and allowing that to limit them in every expression of their lives. Mm. And I think that it sounds like that wouldn't be uh, something significant, but that's everything. Yeah. If you are limited by what others have taught you, and they did teach you, they taught you to be quiet, sit still, don't say that, do what the teacher says, get the A take orders from others and conform, buy the stuff. You know, you'd look better if you did this. Everybody's sure. wearing that. Do your hair this way, dress your body this way, do all of these things a certain way. And that takes you away from your authenticity, which means you are disempowered. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Well, I'm gonna stop you right there. We're gonna actually have to take another break, but everyone don't go anywhere. Left from the hip, we'll be right back. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, 
Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H dot com. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities? No problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. If you're planning on building a home or a major landscaping project, you'll want the team of Stone Resources on your side. Safely, effectively, and correctly working with our unique terrain requires local knowledge and environmental care. For 21 years, Stone Resources has been making sure their customers' biggest investment is on solid ground. Trust your next earth-moving project to Stone Resources. Call 425 754-6792. That's 425-754-6792. Stone Resources. We make the earth move. And remember, if you need dirt or have dirt to get rid of, you can call on us. 425-754-6792. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, I have the pleasure of having Cynthia Ocelli here with us. And I encourage you to check out her beautiful book, Resurrecting Venus. So let's talk about your book, Resurrecting Venus. Who is it for? It is for, and it's so broad, but it is for every woman who lives in this patriarchal society and has been taught that femininity is weakness rather than a strength that can transform your life. All right. And how do you recommend, I know this is a big question, how do you recommend we embrace our feminine energy in this still dominantly masculine world? I think we have to set the intention to do it, and then we have to actually follow through and do those things. And a lot of those things feel really good. A lot of them are things like expressing your creativity, choosing a cooperation and compassion instead of reaction and criticism and judgment. Hmm. Uh, they're all, it's all about developing the skills that bring us stronger, make, bring us together and make us stronger in community. They're also about if you go this way, because everybody has their own way, if you are uh, feminine and you identify with that and, and it resonates with you, then you're really going to like it when you have a man who adores you, dotes on you, is polarized and, you know, wants to protect and provide and preserve you and sort of wraps you up in that protective masculine goodness. And that's not for everybody, but it Mm -hmm. is for a lot of people. And a lot of us have been taught that we're not supposed to have it. Yeah. And you touched on this briefly in your book, but what is the best relationship dynamic? Any kind of polarity, 
So what that means is there's masculine and there's feminine, whoever has it, it's a, it's a hotter, juicier, more sensual, more vibrant connection. If one is one and one is the other, mm-hmm. and they, those two play off each other versus if you're, you know, so both sort of neutral or it stays that you're both in the feminine or both in the masculine, there isn't a lot of stimulus and juiciness it feels a lot of sameness. Right. You know, that, that makes sense, right? And with everything that you went through, did you have to learn how to awaken your feminine energy? Because yes. I imagine you were running off the masculine <laughs> energy to get you through, right? Yes, I was raised uh, at the in the afterglow of the feminist revolution by two feminists who said, men are dispensable, useless, and problems. You need to be a better man, and that's how you'll have a happy life. Wow. Whoa. I don't want to be a man. I'm not even going to be good at that. And <laughs> I would like uh, to have that masculine influ- influence around me because if I'm telling the truth, I really enjoy being feminine. Mm-hmm. So it was a complete paradigm shift from what I was taught and what was good and right for me. Yeah. And did you notice that when you were awakening your divine feminine, that your relationships also improved? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. And it was magic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, you also touch on birthrights in your book. It's, I love how you, you talk about it, but can you touch on a few of those for my listeners? Uh, sure. It's a chapter in my book. There's also a video I did on YouTube and it's very popular and it's basically things that we should all know and have and not have to be given permission for But I go out of my way to give permission to women to know. So if they don't think it, they know I think it so they can use my belief instead um, to know they're enough to revel and celebrate their beauty as they are. Not Mm -hmm. some standard out there, but the more you embrace your own beauty, the more beautiful you become, the more magnetic, the more, and it's independent of age and every type of look and size and, you know, socioeconomic class. It is the truth of you embracing your authentic beauty and and learning to feel that energy inside of you. It is like a magnet Mm -hmm. and really owning that Um, to be selfish, meaning to put yourself first and take care of yourself as a generous act, not as something you should feel guilty about or that you're taking from others. So right. nothing you apologize for as a strategy for living um, to have what you want. So basic. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I put up a post one day that said, I do a thing called what I want. And people were just like, oh, my God. And I'm just like, well, that's what I do. Right. And it has worked out great. It has made me a greater coach, a better partner, better friend, better philanthropist. It has made me wealthier. It has helped everything across the board. I love that. And and then I think, yeah, one more last one is boundaries. Set your boundaries. Say no. So important. Say say it unapologetically. Be okay with that. If someone is giving you a problem, remove them from your life or remove yourself or at least interrupt it until they behave better. I love that. And now I know you're currently coaching and your coaching is focused on helping women over 40 to mm-hmm. help heal from, you know, a broken heart, right? And step into their life. So what is something you have to say to that? I think that we, at 40, around that time is the time that we finally are open to being disabused of the idea that we were supposed to do everything that we were taught to do. And we've had enough experience at that point that we have the subtleties and the nuances in our body and being to kind of know what we really want. And it's at this point that we can look back and remove the things that cause us obstacles and stand in our way and limit us and actually have goals and visions that take 
all that we have become, all that we have learned, all that we have become, and utilize them to create what we came here to do, to give the gifts that we came here to live. And it is the best time in your life, not, <laughs> not going away slowly into the darkness. Right. It is the time when you actually have maturity, spiritual maturity, experience. You can still have all the beauty, sensuality, sexiness. This is the time that you have it all. This is the best time. <laughs> and we, we capture that and create whatever it is I love that, that they really want. I yeah. love that. So what do you think is our greatest superpower as women? If you had We're to just pick one. I got one. We're creators. No matter what, no matter where you are in your reproductive whatever, or even if you are a trans woman, it is that feminine energy of infinite creation. So whatever it is, you can change the entire world or just yours. You have this infinite power to create and transform, and it is innate to you, and it does not go away. Love that. Now, tell us more about, is it Moja 2? Am I pronouncing that right? <laughs> yeah, Moja 2. It means just one in Swahili, and it is an Austin-based, woman-founded nonprofit where 100% of every dollar goes to taking impoverished children off the path of poverty by paying for their education and supporting them emotionally all the way through graduation and then getting them employed in jobs. And this is what, what we can do instead of having these kids have education end in eighth grade and be married off or be sheep herders for their entire lives. Wow. So it's, it's incredibly transformative. And I get to mentor, you know, little kids in Kenya, college kids in Kenya, and it's, that's been transformative for me. That's lovely. And where can yeah. my listeners learn more about that and also learn more about you? Sure. Well, I'm Cynthia Ocelli. My website is CynthiaOcelli.com. And you can jump off to everything there. I have social media platforms everywhere as well. And Moja2 is M-O-J-A-T-U.com. Just one, Moja2.com. And it's, that's one of the most transformative things you can do for yourself. So lovely. Thank you so much for being here today. You're such an inspiration. <laughs> thank you for having me. I've loved it. You're great. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you to Eric, my brilliant producer, you the listener, KKNW, Timber Country, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com and tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip. Stay kind out there. Stay true to you. And don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead. I dare ya.